So as you know, we are kicking off our semester with a sermon series called Lenses. We're basically figuring out how do we as Christians, as followers of Jesus, understand the world around us because we recognize that this year has been pretty crazy and it's only September. Um, still a little bit of the year left to go. And so, I mean, the world always is crazy, but I think that especially right now, we as Christians, we as followers of Jesus need to understand how should we view all the different things. I think there's a lot of different ways that we can view what's happening. There's different lenses that we can be looking at the world through right now, a lot of lenses that are being forced upon us. But I think we sometimes need to step back and recognize, well, how should I really be viewing this? Blaine kicked us off great last week, talking about how ultimately our lens is Jesus and how any other lens really falls short. I know for me, it's really difficult sometimes to understand how I can filter things through the lens of Jesus, especially right now when I'm looking at all the issues of injustice and protesting and all these different things that are happening. And it's really easy for me to personally hop on board with those things, probably most likely because of the color of my skin. It's pretty easy for me to hop on board with those causes. But I don't know that I'm always able to hop on board with those causes because they're coming from a framework of Jesus. Sometimes I separate them. Sometimes I understand why these things are important, even apart from my faith. Um, and I think it's easy for us to kind of um, go with those things because we know that they're right in and of themselves, but not necessarily why they're right through the lens of Jesus. But we really don't have to look very far to understand what it means to care about injustice in the world, what it means to care about the things that are happening that are not right, because that's what Jesus ultimately did himself. He was someone who was able to recognize how, as a person of faith, as the son of God, as the citizen of a kingdom, he was able to recognize how he should care about those things. So I think we're often uh, feeling like we need to compartmentalize those things, but ultimately they tie together. And that's really what comes from having this lens. Because the lens that it seems like a lot of people are using right now is a political lens. Everything right now seems very, very politicized. I mean, think about it. Right now, the decision as to whether or not you decide to wear a mask now becomes a reflection of your political leaning. So some people will wear it, some people won't, even though we're in the middle of a global health crisis and it should be a health issue. People are making political statements as to whether or not they choose to wear a mask. Or even now, there are people who will hesitate to affirm the value of black life because they're afraid of the political associations that people will put on them for doing that. So instead of caring about the sanctity of life, instead of caring about injustice, they're afraid to say something because it's been politicized in a way where they're thinking more about the implications and the associations and the labels that will be put on them by saying black lives matter. And so what we can find from this is that ultimately, a political lens is just insufficient. It's not wrong. It's not sinful. Don't hear that I'm saying don't be involved in politics. We should. Like Blaine talked about, politics are a reflection of the values of the kingdom of heaven that we want to live out. But ultimately, as a lens, it does fall short because all these different issues that we should be looking at in a totally different way and understanding in a totally different way get all jarbled because we're looking at them through a politicized lens. And so that should let us know that a political lens is insufficient. Not wrong, not necessarily sinful, but it's not enough. It's insufficient. And so what we need to do as followers of Jesus right now is understand how do we view it? What lens should we look through to understand? What does it mean when we look through that lens of Jesus to understand everything that's happening around us. 
One of the first passages that come to mind when I'm thinking about um, injustice or what I'm thinking about just what it feels like is evil in the world and how do we acknowledge that is this passage in Ephesians. And you can read along with me. It's Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10. It says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, the breastplate of righteousness, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I am fearless, so I will fearlessly make known the, my the mystery of the gospel, which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. And I think can be fully honest, when I was reading this passage as a way of trying to understand the sort of spiritual awareness that we're supposed to have as Christians in the world around us, it was very difficult for me. It was difficult because I'm reading it and it's saying that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and, and spirits. And it was difficult for me to read that because that's not what I see. I'm looking at me at the world. I'm looking at what's happening. And I'm seeing that we are wrestling against flesh and blood. It feels like. Because when I look at the news, I see black people constantly wrestling against flesh and blood. Because flesh and blood put his knee on George Floyd's neck and suffocated him. Because flesh and blood barged into Breonna Taylor's apartment and murdered her in her room. Because flesh and blood shot Jacob Blake in the back seven times. Flesh and blood is how COVID is spreading. Flesh and blood is impacted by the pandemic. It feels like it is all flesh and blood. And so it was hard for me to accept this as truth when I read it. But I wonder if maybe that's why Paul put it in there. Maybe that's why he pointed this out, because he knew that the only thing that we really see or the thing that's easier for us to see is the flesh and blood fight. Because he knew that it's easier for us to think that's all there is because it's the easiest thing to see. And he knew that we were already aware of that. It's hard to ignore the flesh and blood fight. It's hard to ignore flesh and blood danger and the evil that comes with that. But maybe he pointed this out. He said this so that we recognize that even though that's what we see, that is not all that there is. Really, I think he's trying to prepare us for a greater spiritual battle. What he's saying isn't that we shouldn't worry about flesh and blood. What he's saying is that it's deeper than that. And that if we are not aware of the entirety of the picture, that we will be ill-equipped for the spiritual battle that we are in. We will be ill-equipped for the spiritual battle that we are in. That's why he talks about the armor of God. He's saying put on the whole armor. He's saying be prepared in every way. Be in the spirit. Have everything so that you can recognize the fullness of the battles that we face while we are here on earth. If we're only viewing life through a physical lens, if we're only 
viewing the world through a physical flesh and blood lens, we will be ill-prepared for the spiritual battle that we're in. Because it's not necessarily just about flesh and blood. It's really about a kingdom. A lot of times we think about the gospel, and particularly Jesus in the gospels and him preaching, we often think that the gospel is just him saying, repent of your sins and you'll be forgiven. And he does say that, and that's true, that's part of the gospel. But really what Jesus talks about even more than that is the idea of this kingdom. He's saying that there's a kingdom that I am part of, that I am bringing down to earth, a kingdom that is good and perfect, that will make everything right. He's preaching this idea of this kingdom to people who are in a world that is sinful and broken. I mean, think about it. Think about the people that Jesus ministers to. He ministers to the sick, people who are experiencing the brokenness of the world, not only just through the fact that they're experiencing sickness, but then also many of those people were ostracized because they also lived in a broken society that then left them in the margins and they were mistreated because of their sickness. So they're experiencing oppression and brokenness on so many different ends in this world. And he ministers to them. He ministers to people who have experienced the death of a loved one, people who experience some of the deepest loss as a result of the brokenness of the world, which is death. And he ministers to them and he brings them back to life. He brings their loved ones back to life. And he does this because his ultimate message is this idea of a kingdom that he is bringing down to earth. And in that kingdom, there is no brokenness. In that kingdom, it is good and it is perfect. It's the goodest sense of good that you could think about. And it's whole and there's healing. And so he's preaching that gospel to the people who are experiencing the brokenness of the world. He, he teaches it. He tells it to the people who are experiencing the brokenness of the world most deeply are the, ten the people that he tends to be ministering to. Because we have to understand that if there is evil in this world, that our world is broken. And that there's this sort of tension between this kingdom of light that Jesus brings and he brings it through his people, which is us, but also the broken city of the world. And there is this spiritual battle that's happening. And many Christians will kind of sit back and they'll say, well, yes, the, sin, the world is sinful and broken. And that's just going to have to be kind of the way that things are. And they use that as an excuse, almost like a cop out, to just sit on their hands and do nothing. And say, this is the way things are and we're just going to have to wait until... Jesus makes things better or until we just go to heaven or until whatever it is. And they sit back and they do nothing. But just because the world is broken, that doesn't mean that we do nothing about it. It means that we partner with Jesus in bringing his kingdom to earth. It means that we are in the middle of a spiritual battle. And if we're not recognizing that part of it is spiritual, we will be ill-equipped for it. And we have to remember that the way that we advocate for justice, the way that we attempt to make the world right, to make it better, is not something that we do just in and of itself, but it's actually part of the kingdom of God. I always have to remind myself that I can never be more radical than Jesus. Like, I can never have an idea that's more loving, more progressive, more full of justice, more full of equity. I could never have an idea of that that is more radical than Jesus. And sometimes I think we fear a little bit our own faith because we're not sure that our faith will hold up to the ideals that we have about how the world should look. And so we're afraid to really see what scripture says about it. We're afraid to look through the lens of Jesus to understand it because we think it won't hold up. But it will because these ideas and our heart pride, this idea comes from the kingdom of heaven. And so when we're fighting to make our world better, when we're trying to understand the brokenness of the world, we're not just doing it for the sake of it. We're doing it because it's part of the kingdom of heaven. 
It's part of the gospel. It's part of the good news. It's saying, hey, Jesus is here to make things right and to make things better and to combat the evil that we see in the world. We advocate for justice because it is part of the kingdom. We have compassion because it's part of the kingdom. We help others who are affected by the brokenness of the world because that's a witness to the kingdom of light. We have to recognize that our battle is flesh and blood. It looks like flesh and blood. We see flesh and blood, but it's also spiritual, and we need to be fully aware of that in order to be equipped for the spiritual battle that we are in. And I think the best way to be equipped for this spiritual battle is to be reliant and dependent on the Holy Spirit. And I know the Holy Spirit, this whole idea probably maybe to you sounds a little bit like I'm losing you a little bit. Maybe you're like this whole idea of good and evil, spirits, principalities, spiritual battles. Julian, you watch too much Star Wars. You're trying to make your life like a Star Wars movie, which I do probably, but this is not that. This is not that. Because if we're fighting the spiritual battle that, that Paul talks about, we need to have something in our, in our armor. We need to have something to fight it and to understand it in that sense. And that's why I really think dependency on the Holy Spirit is important because the Holy Spirit allows us to fight a battle that we cannot fight on our own. If we are attempting to put the worries of the world and the, the issues of the world, the injustices of the world, the brokenness of the world on our own shoulders, we will tire out very quickly. We will not be able to do it. We cannot use our own flesh and blood to fight a spiritual battle. Eventually, we will run out of strength. And so that's why we need the Holy Spirit to equip us. And the Holy Spirit is just that, that counselor, that guidance. The Bible talks about him being. He's kind of our way of understanding where God is leading us and asking us to do. He helps us, I think, understand how to react when we're having hard conversations with people about topics that are controversial but are important. I think the Holy Spirit helps us learn how to react well, how to have the right words. In the gospel, Jesus tells his disciples when talking about standing up for truth and standing up for the gospel, he says, when the time comes, I'll give you the words. Don't worry about it. Like when the time comes, when the moment comes, I will give you the words that you need to speak in that moment. And I think the Holy Spirit does that for us even now when we're having hard conversations about truth that needs to be told, about healing that needs to be brought to people. The Holy Spirit can give us the wisdom to speak the right words that will be in love, but also full of truth. I think one of the greatest ministries of the Holy Spirit is telling people when not to post things on social media. I wish more people would listen to that area of ministry from the Holy Spirit. But sometimes it helps us understand when we're acting out of righteous anger or when we're acting just out of anger. I know me personally speaking, I feel a lot of anger. I felt a lot of anger over the past few months. And the Holy Spirit has helped me parse out how much of that is righteous anger, which I think a lot of it is, but maybe not all of it is. And how do I make sure that I'm responding out of an anger for justice and not just responding out of an anger of pride? Because often when we're in the middle of this sort of spiritual battle between good and evil, between the sin of the world and the light of Jesus' kingdom, it can lead us to sometimes fall into darkness a little bit ourselves. Sometimes the sin in other people can start to bring out the sin in us. And that's not the way to fight it. I know I have to be very cautious about that to say just because this person did not respond to me the right way because they did not say something loving and kind to me, that does not mean that I then have a license to sin just because, well, they were mean first. It's hard to tell, right? When is our anger righteous and when is it not? But the Holy Spirit can give us wisdom in that and guide us in our words, in our reactions, in our responses. And the Holy Spirit also helps us to model a sense of radical love. 
Like I said, we can't be more radical than Jesus. And so as we're living out the kingdom ethic of fighting for justice, of fighting for equity, of showing compassion, of trying to make right all that we see in the world, we also have to model the kingdom ethic of radical love. And I feel like the only way to really truly love deeply, to love radically, is when we have the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus within us, to help us to be able to do that. We need radical love. We need the Holy Spirit to guide us, to show us, to help us fight a battle that we cannot fully fight on our own. We need that. We need him to guide us. We must depend on the Holy Spirit. I think the other aspect of how we sort of partake in the spiritual battle and and really just be aware of what's happening and understanding what's happening is understanding the importance of prayer. Now, I know a lot of times when Christians talk about prayer, particularly when we're talking about um, things that are not right in the world, things that need to be made right, a lot of the times people will kind of write it off and they'll be like, well, we need more than thoughts and prayer. And I would agree with that person. We do need more than thoughts and prayers. We do need people to put in action. We do need people to actively make the world right. But I also think that there's a misunderstanding of what prayer really is. I was listening to a sermon from Dr. Carrie Day. I listened to the sermon um, couple years ago. Uh, Dr. Carrie Day, she's a theologian. She's um, a professor over at uh, Princeton Seminary. If you were around a couple years ago, we highlighted her in our Black Theologians uh, series. And she has this great sermon where she talks about the idea that prayer is protest and protest is prayer. Now, that might sound a little bit out of the blue to you, but track with me. Listen to what I'm saying. Track with me. Track with me. She's saying that prayer is protest. And she gets this idea from Jesus himself, which I think is the best place to get ideas like this. And it's from Luke 18. And in Luke 18, there's a parable. And basically the setup here is that Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's trying to explain prayer to them. He's trying to explain what prayer is, why we should pray. And I think the reason we have to pay such close attention to this parable is because if Jesus chooses to answer a big question like what is prayer in this specific way, it gives us a lot of understanding into how he wants us to view prayer. So in Luke 18, starting in verse 1, it says, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea. Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time, he refused. But finally, he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will, he not, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, he will find, will he find faith on the earth? So this parable is about this woman who's a widow, and she wants justice. And it's also interesting that Jesus even chooses a widow for this parable, because at the time, that was a pretty low socioeconomic status. To not have a husband, to be widowed, um, to be a woman. You weren't even allowed to go in court if you were a woman at that time. But this woman decided that she needed justice, that she wanted to see justice, and she persistently pursued it. 
She was basically saying that the world is not the way it should be. Things are not the way it should be. And I will advocate it, advocate for it to be the way that it should be until it is. I will continually, continually, continually go to whoever it is that I need to go to to advocate that the world should be the way it should, that there should be justice. This is how Jesus is describing prayer. Our prayers should have a heart of protest to them. Our prayers should have a part of relentlessly pursuing God to say, God, this is not the way it should be. Lord, fix it. Make it right. Give us justice. Give us equity. That's what prayer is supposed to look like. And it's very interesting because in this story, the, the judge is an unjust judge. And even Jesus says at the end of the parable, he says, if this worked on a judge who's not even just, if this worked on a judge who does not care about people and does not fear God, I'm sure we can all think of different leaders who would uh, fit that description. If that worked on leaders like that in this parable, imagine how much more powerful it is when we do that to a God who does love justice, who does want to see the world restored, who does love his people and want to bring wholeness and healing to his people. How much more powerful is our protest then? And so I would encourage you to understand prayer in this way and then also to understand protest in this way. Maybe you're looking around at the protests that have been happening over the past few months all over the country and you don't really understand why people are doing this, why this has to be the method. Maybe you don't really get it. Well, if you understand that protest is the same heart as prayer, it's simply a way of crying out and saying that this is not the way the world should be and we will relentlessly fight. We will relentlessly go to whoever it is that we need to go to and so the world is as it should be. Prayer is protest. Protest is prayer. Prayer is that protest in the spiritual realm that goes to God and says, make it right. You want your kingdom to come. Let it come, Lord. That's the heart of prayer. I want to end by um, reading an excerpt from this sermon from the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Um, fun fact you can quote MLK even when it's not MLK Day. I know you don't really see it done, but you, you are allowed to do that. Um, and a lot of people only understand MLK as a civil rights leader, which he was. But I think we sometimes neglect or, or look over the fact that he was also a church leader. He was the pastor of a church. He was a disciple maker. While he was leading a whole civil rights movement, he was also leading a whole congregation. And so I personally have found that um, some of the best stuff that I heard from MLK wasn't even necessarily the, the speeches that he gave at rallies, but it was the sermons that he gave in his church. And there is one such sermon um, called The Answer to a Perplexing Question. And the answer to that, or the question rather, that he is referring to is simple. It's the question, why could we not cast him out? And if you don't know what that question is referencing, uh, it's a story in the Gospels where Jesus sends his disciples out to do ministry, and they're attempting to uh, cast out a demon from someone who's possessed. They're attempting to do ministry, to pray for him, to heal him, and they can't do it. And they can't figure out why they can't do it until finally Jesus has to come along and just do it himself. And Jesus heals the man, and, and everything's all Gucci. And then they turn to Jesus, and they go, okay, cool, but Lord, why could we not cast him out? And so what Dr. King is proposing in this sermon is that we often ask that question ourselves. We look at the world, we look at the brokenness, we look at our feeble attempts of trying to make things right, and sometimes we feel a little bit 
drained and we ask why could we not cast it out? And he calls out both people who think both ways about this because he calls out the people who say, well, the way to cast it out is to just try as hard as we can, to do everything we can. It's in our hands, we have to go, we have to fight, we have to pursue in the civil rights movement for racial justice, for economic equality. And he said those things are right and good, but he says if you think that you can fix the evil of the world completely on your own, it's not gonna work. You're not gonna be properly equipped for the spiritual battle if you're thinking that you can do this all on your own. But then he also goes to the other side and he said there are people that say, well, you know what, just pray. And they just sit on their hands and they decide that God will just kind of rain down his justice when he feels like it and that eventually he'll make things right. Maybe we'll pray a little bit, but we'll just sit back and watch and see. And he goes, no. That's, that's not the way to cast it out either, because we, ha we have a part in this. We, we're supposed to play a part in this. And so finally, at the end of his sermon, he talks about this, saying that both of these viewpoints are not the total, complete way of understanding why we can't cast it out. Instead, he says this, racial justice, a genuine possibility in our nation and in the world, will come neither by our frail and often misguided efforts, nor by God imposing his will on wayward men, but when enough people open their lives to God and allow him to pour his triumphant divine energy into their souls. Our age-old and noble dream of a world of peace may yet become a reality, but it will come neither by man working alone, nor by God destroying the wicked schemes of men. But when men so open their lives to God that he may fill them with love, mutual respect, understanding, and goodwill. Social salvation will come only through man's willing acceptance of God's mighty gift. So he's saying here that it's not one or the other. It's not just wait for God to do something. And it's not the fact that we can do it all on our own. Instead, he's saying that there is a bigger spiritual battle. That if we attempt to fight it on our own, without being properly equipped, without the help of the Holy Spirit, without recognizing the deeper battle that's happening between the kingdom of God and the darkness that is in our world, we will be ill-equipped. We need both. We need deeply to understand both our role in fighting for this world and also our need to be dependent on the Holy Spirit to do the things that we can't do because at a certain point we reach the end of our own efforts. And so I hope that you understand that there's so many different things at play here. We understand what our role is. There's so much more at play. And my hope for all of you listening now is to understand how to be properly equipped, how to understand. Because it is a broken world and I think we all feel the need to do something. Maybe we all feel overwhelmed. Maybe we feel overwhelmed because we don't even fully understand everything that's happening. But we know that we serve a God who wants to bring his kingdom to earth. And that means that we are in this battle, that we are equipped in a battle that requires our hands and our feet, but also our hearts and our souls. And so I hope that moving forward, we can think about that, that we don't fall victim into thinking that we can do everything on our own. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll spend some time in worship and reflection. Jesus, we thank you for the way that you help us the way that you support us, Lord. Would you help each and every one of us listening to this right now, Lord, to be able to see what you want us to see, to understand what you want us to understand, to do what you've asked us to do, God. Would you help us be part of the kingdom of heaven that you are bringing to earth, Lord? We thank you for your heart 
We thank you for giving your heart to us, Lord. Help us be more like you and help us to make the world look more like you would have it, God. We pray this in your name. Amen.